Y'all awake? Y'all good? Everybody awake? Alive? Okay. Uh, So we don't have a video to show you this week. Isn't that sad? We've had such good fun making those videos every week. And uh, if you guys that, if this is your first time, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the kids remember. Y'all remember the videos. Uh, They were a lot of fun. And uh, we just dropped the ball this week. Our Our schedules got busy. Um, as uh, campus pastors of all three of our campuses of Lindsay Lane, and we just didn't get it done. But we're promising you an over-the-top ending to our video series. We promise, okay? We're just, we don't know what it's going to be yet. But anyway, we're going to have fun uh, doing this. But today we're wrapping up this series called Bring It In. Uh, the whole point, we've kind of been looking at it as if uh, Philippians 1 and 2, Paul really begins to talk about what it looks like to be unified as a team. Um, he's speaking to a church And so we've been kind of making the connection that we as a church, we are a team. God has saved us and called us to be together, um, similar to how a team is. So if you have a Bible, going to open up to Philippians 2. That's where we'll be here shortly. But uh, I've also been sharing lots of uh, goofy sports stories. And so I've got one today that may offend you um, if you're from a particular school. My junior year uh, of football, we, we uh, um, I don't know about y'all, if you played sports or something, you recognize this. When somebody comes to your house, when somebody steps on your field, right? There's an expectation, isn't it? Don't act crazy on my field. This is our house, right? And so that's what we felt like we had created at Ardmore. Uh, you don't step on our field. You respect us, right? That's the way we, that's the way we treated T.M. Rogers. Anybody graduate from T.M. Rogers? Josh again. <laughs> Poor Josh. Um, T.M. Rogers rolls up on some school buses to Ardmore and walked on our field like they owned it. And for four quarters, they did. <laughs> but what I remember about that is that what I remember for some reason, I don't know why I remember this, they were all the exact same size. Like none of them were very tall and none of them were very big. They were this, everyone had the same shape. It was like they had cloned someone and just that was the whole team. But what I also remember is that, man, that team had attitude. And their attitude was intensity and rough dudes. Uh, I remember sitting down, uh, our fullback's locker room was, uh, locker was right next to mine. I remember him sitting there and looking at his forearms. And his forearms were just bloody from the game where he had been running through and, and catching helmets. We don't know, I mean, t- to us, we were so defeated in the game, we thought they had horns coming out of their helmets, right? Like there was something that we were all beat up. We were exhausted after that game, and the score was, <laughs> and it was bad. You'll have to look that up. I'm not going to tell you what the score was. Um, but it was bad. And, but what I remember is that that team had a particular persona, and it was intimidating. Now, what I also remember is growing up in sports. I don't feel like sports had this as much today, but I remember growing up, every team like had a persona, right? Like you had like the, the clean cut, uh, smooth, uh, very uh, fundamental guys like in basketball, or you had teams like uh, Sports Illustrated. I looked this up. Sports Illustrated did a, a study a while back. Most hated teams in sports history. Most hated teams in sports history. Where's Steve? I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, the ni- or I'm or you're proud. I don't know. Uh, but the 1986 University of Miami uh, football team scored uh, number one on the Sports Illustrated list. Uh, it was said of them back in the day, Miami may be the only squad in America that has its team picture taken from the front 
and from the side. You got that? All right. So apparently they were a rough bunch. But here's the deal. Every team has a persona. Every team has an attitude, right? Sometimes it's showboating. I think back, my dad was a big Joe, Joe Namath fan. Y'all have heard that uh, back, in Janu- or back in February for me. My dad was a big Joe Namath fan. Joe Namath led his team to be the cocky, out, you know, just high thinking of themselves team. Every team has its own attitude. And for us as Christians and for us as Lindsay Lane East, we don't get to choose that attitude. It's actually in the scriptures for us. And so today what we're going to look at is that Paul challenges the church at Philippi to take on a particular attitude, to have a particular persona so that when the people around look at you, they think, man, those guys are fill in the blank. I'm going to tell you what it is here in a bit. All right. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. I'm going to look at verses three and four. We're eventually going to go through verse eight, but I don't want to get there yet. Verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. Let me pray. We're going to come back and break that down. Father God, we love you and we come before you humbly, God, asking you to help us understand what only you can help us with. And that is, God, the truth of the gospel. God, make your words come alive to us today. And let us not leave here, God, without having dealt with your spirit Um, and how we need to live differently based on this. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Paul has been building a case for a while that there's great need for unity in the church. He really drives that home in these two verses by showing us the attitude that you and I are to have. And he's painting this consistent consistent picture from verse 3 all the way through verse 8. He's telling the church as a whole to be humble. Humility is the thing that we're going to talk about today, okay? That's what Paul's telling us. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. So we're going to look at this. Um, If you're a note taker, there were notes in your seat. Um, But point number one is don't act in selfishness. We see that do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of ambition or conceit. Uh, selfish ambition or conceit. Now, here's the deal. Selfishness is a tricky bird, okay? And here's what I mean by that. It's easy to spot. If you've ever been around a selfish person, it takes you all of three seconds to figure it out because all they do is talk about themselves. You can tell that everything revolves around them. But the reason why selfishness is tricky is it's so easy to perceive in other people, nearly impossible to perceive in yourself. (laughs) When we are acting selfishly, we rarely ever notice it until a good friend and loved one comes up and says, stop it, right? Almost always, and when I look back at the most selfish moments in my life, I didn't recognize them. It took someone else from the outside who loves me telling me, Heath, you're being selfish in this. This is what's so tricky because we are so naturally selfish that we can act this way without even thinking. And it can be hard to stop something that's so impossible to detect. But that's why Paul, if you've you've read a lot of Paul's letters in the New Testament, if you don't know, Paul was a a missionary church planner who traveled the known world. And then uh, after he would travel, he would take a little break, write letters to these churches that he had helped start. When he writes letters, 
that are compiled in our New Testament. He doesn't just say, don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. Paul almost always gives you a positive. He says, don't do this, do this. Don't do that, do that. And so that's what he does in these letters, if you, in this part. If you'll notice, he says, don't act in selfishness. Instead, act in humility. Now, that's what he says. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. So if you're a note taker, point number one, don't act in selfishness. Number two, don't, or do, <laughs> don't act in selfishness. Number one, number two, act in humility. Paul says, and instead of acting selfishly, we should act in humility. And humility is just as easy to notice in other people as selfishness, right? If you've ever been around somebody who's humble, just overly humble, it's so easy. It's so easy to tell. I want to tell you about a guy named Billy Cox. Billy Cox was a deacon at the first church I served in. He was a country, country, country boy, I'm talking about. He, he, he made chicken stew. That was what he was best known for was his chicken stew and his heart for people. I've never been around a man who is more humble than Billy Cox. Billy, uh, he, uh, he, he battled cancer um, uh, and lost it uh, a couple years, a few years ago. And, uh, but man, everyone who knew Billy Cox, he was a hoot to be around, but I never once saw him puff his chest out or take credit for anything. Even when everybody was like, Billy, that was awesome. If his chicken stew, I mean, he'd thank the Lord for the chicken stew, you know? As my recipe, but the Lord pulled it off. You know, it was just all, he never took credit for anything. He always made other people look good. And you've probably known people like Billy before. And so that's, we, we, we can recognize selfishness, but we can also recognize humility. And so Paul says, don't act in selfishness, act in humility. But the question is, how do we do that? What does it look like to act in humility? And Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 4. He said, everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. You see what Paul's saying. Paul is being very clear about what humility looks like. Number three, don't worry about yourself. Don't look to your own interests. What can I get out of this? Uh, What can I do to make this easier on me? You know where we get that? You know where we get that idea? Flip to Genesis. You don't have to, but in your Bible, go to Genesis 3. You got these two people, Adam and Eve. And God says, don't eat of the fruit the tree in the middle of the garden. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. Well, they do. And then God comes. And who does he go to first? Who does he go to first? Not a trick question. Adam. He looks at Adam and he says, Adam, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And Adam, what, what he should say is, yeah, I did wrong i knew you said not to but i did i'm sorry will you forgive me that's that's not what adam says adam says she made me do it in fact you gave her to me he actually blames not only the woman he blames god he says the woman that you gave to me she's the one that led me astray and so god in his frustration i'm sure is thinking lots of things but he looks at the woman he's like all right let's hear from you and she points to the serpent. And she says, the serpent made me do it. I, I, I didn't, I, he made me do it. And in that moment, forever etched into the heart of man is a natural tendency towards blaming other people 
and shifting and focusing our interests and our protecting ourselves from the outside world. And that is the definition of selfishness. To look out for our own interests, to blame other people, even when we ourselves are at fault. And so this is very easy for us to call out in others and to call out in Adam and Eve. But it's harder to stop doing ourselves. And so Paul says, don't, don't act in selfishness, act in humility. Don't worry about yourself. Point number four, worry about others. The guy I told you about earlier, Billy, uh, he was so good at this. Like I told you, he died from uh, leukemia. His second bout with leukemia uh, just uh, sent him into a, a medical downward spiral. And he continued to get worse and worse and worse. And what I remember about Billy is that even when he didn't feel good, we could just see his weight going down. We could see his color getting worse. And the one thing, that, that terrible diagnosis that had come along, um, what I remember is that he continued to love. He continued to serve. He continued to minister to his community. And now here's the deal. Nobody would have ever faulted him for shutting it down and going to the house. Right? No one would have faulted Billy for staying home and taking care of himself. Look, Billy, man, you, you don't know how much time you have left, man. Just rest. Stretch that out as long as you can. And Billy said, nope, I'll see you Sunday. And he came in with a compromised immune system and sat in worship every single week because he wanted to be among the Lord. He would show up at work days. Good night when we're working at the church. <laughs> like, Billy... No one expects you to be here, right? We all would have given Billy a pass on the outside workday when he's dying from leukemia, but Billy's going to show up. This was the man that Billy was. Billy didn't worry about his own interest. He was always looking out for the interests of others. And so Paul has said the same thing four times now. Don't act in selfishness. Act in humility. Stop worrying about yourself. Worry about others. Be humble. He said it over and over and over again. But listen, this isn't just a message from Paul. This isn't Paul saying, this is the way that you need to be. Listen, Paul was this way. Paul was this way. Paul lived his life according to humility. Paul had put others' spiritual interests before his own. He had been beaten for sharing the faith. He had been stoned for sharing the faith. And where is he writing this letter from? He's chained up in prison. Paul understood what it looked like to be humble. And in this moment, he exemplified humility. But after verse 4, Paul doesn't say, take on the attitude of me. Let me give you some examples of what humility looks like. Hey, I'm in prison because I've been trying to share the faith. Share the good news of the gospel. That's humility, man. He doesn't do that. He doesn't talk about Billy Cox. He takes it up a notch, and he shows how Jesus himself is the standard for what humility should look like among his followers. Look at verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Church, if you and I are going to be unified around a common goal, and if we're going to be unified together, the only way unity can occur is if every single person who calls Lindsay Lane East home has the attitude of Christ. We must have the attitude of Christ. You see, Paul challenges the church to be humble. He gives them ways to do that. But then he gets to the heart. He says you need an attitude adjustment. Did anybody have a teacher that had a paddle hanging on the wall? 
that said attitude adjustment on it. Y'all remember those days? I don't even, I don't think they can do things like that anymore. We're a dying breed of people who have been paddled in school. (laughs) But I remember having a teacher and it said attitude adjuster or something like that written on the paddle. Um, that's, That's not what we're talking about here. But God doesn't necessarily use a paddle to change our attitudes, but he uses the Holy Spirit to change our hearts to this new attitude. And we have to ask God to work in us, and then we have to cooperate with him to develop it in us. Paul then goes on to some detail about what this attitude looks like. And listen, the verses that I'm about to read have been revered throughout Christian history as some of the most beautiful verses in the entire New Testament. It's been called the Christ hymn of Philippians because it's poetic and it borders on a song that Paul writes of Jesus. And so I'm going to read it in its entirety because it's just that good. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? There's so much to get caught up in here. Everyone that studies Philippians chapter 2 finds themselves in the theological depths We ask questions like, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? Does that mean he's no longer God? Or we ask questions like, why does it say that he came in the likeness of humanity? Does that mean he wasn't really a human? And these are questions that you can search and you can find answers to. But when you focus on those things, you miss the point. Church, this is what, uh, you've heard it from me since January 6th, my first sermon here. We read the Bible in context. If you just read verses 5 through 8, it sounds like Paul is trying to help you understand who Jesus is. No! He's trying to show you who you're supposed to be. Philippians 5 through 8 are a supporting passage of verses 3 and 4. He says, be humble, be humble. Four times. Be humble, be humble. Let me show you what humility looks like. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so whenever you and I, just this is just for free, but when we get caught up in all the, the weeds, you can, you can, man, you can study. You can study Philippians 2, and, you can, and if you come out with only a robust understanding of Jesus as fully God and fully man, you've missed the whole argument. You've missed the point. Paul is commanding us, commanding the church at Philippi and in turn commanding us to be humble. And so please be careful as you're reading the Bible. Make sure that you don't just take a passage and go, oh, that was really pretty. And study that. make sure that you read the little bit before and the little bit after to make sure that you understand the argument that Paul is trying to make. Theologians have spent <clears throat> a lot of their life devoted to those five... Those five uh, Four verses. However, how many of them were truly living out a life of humility? If they weren't, they missed the point. So as Paul is building this example of humility, he uses nine phrases to describe Christ as an example of humility. So he says, 
Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, verse 6. I'm going I'm to give them to you. We don't have time to talk about all nine. <laughs> You're saying praise the Lord. <clears throat> but number, uh, so uh, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of man and did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of men, uh, humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Nine statements that Paul makes about Jesus that dry, each one of them is, is, is so important to Paul's argument to us to be hum, uh, humble, but none are more important than the bookend. So look at the first one and look at the last one. He existed in the form of God. Listen to me, church. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. There is no attribute that the Father has that the Son does not. Jesus is fully and completely God. And now look at the last one. Death on the cross. Jesus endured one of the most excruciating deaths that the world had to offer in the first century. Crucifixion was awful. It was suffocation. Public suffocation. And he felt every bit of it. So, how did Jesus go from existing in the form of God to death on a cross? Right? How, what is that, what, how did that dissension happen? How could it happen that God himself would be crucified? I bet you can guess. Humility. That's what we're talking about, right? Humility. Jesus allowed himself to be taken, beaten, ridiculed, and then nailed to a cross and hung up to die. And all the while, he has all power. He's perfectly and holy God. Why does Paul give us this example? I feel like he's proved his point. By the time we get to verse 4, we're like, Paul, we get it. Be humble. Drop it. But why does he give us this example of Christ? It seems to me Paul is driving home another aspect of this church. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If Jesus, the Son of God, can humble himself to the point of crucifixion, what excuse do we have? What excuse do we have to not be humble in our lives, if the Son of God was not willing to pull rank, why do we live with that attitude? Because I'm going to tell you, and this is, I'm speaking to myself, I'm speaking to our church, I'm speaking to the church at large. When I see Christians in the public sphere, I don't see humility. Oftentimes when I look in the mirror, <laughs> I don't see humility. What I see is haughtiness. What I see is defending Ready to pick a fight with somebody over something silly? Kids in the room? That's what I see. When I log on to Facebook, I don't see Christians just pouring out grace to the world. Come, meet our Savior. We don't have open arms. We got a stick and a stone in one hand. That's what I see. And that is not the attitude of Christ Jesus. 
If we are to adopt the attitude of Christ Jesus, it must be humility. That's what Christ shows us. Be humble. And we need a new attitude, but we can't be forced. It's not going to happen overnight. We're going to have to seek God through his word and through the local church and ask God to change us. And then and only then can this church be unified around a common attitude. Christ has given us the perfect example of what humility looks like. And again, if Christ can go from the Son of God at the throne with his own throne and can hang on a cross, there is no dissension, there is no humility, there is no low place that you and I can't find with the help of God. So when you're at your workplace and somebody's fussing about a Christian or fussing about God, listen, church, don't fight. Satan's teeing you up and he sets you up. There's a, a church plan indicator. Um, the pastor there uh, preached this past week and, and I didn't have a quote in the first service and I should have looked it up in between, but I didn't. But I'm going to sum it up for you. He says, sadly, as Christians today, we're waiting for a government or a president to protect us. When we serve the Lion of Judah. Church, be ready to give a defense. Be ready to share the gospel with somebody who needs to hear it. But no place in Scripture is there a place for us to fight. We need to be humble. We need to come to the world who doesn't understand the things of God with humility. And I believe then and only then will our community look at us like I looked at T.M. Rogers and say there's a particular attitude that exists on that team. And hopefully it's not the same as the 1986 University of Miami. I pray that the community around us looks at Lindsay Lane East and says, man, that is a group of people who understand humility. I pray, I pray, I pray that this is true in our generation. I want to see it happen from us. I pray our grandkids and our great-grandkids see it, but I want to see it happen in our generation. So if you're with me in that, if you're with me in that, let's ask God to help us do it. Today we're going to sing one more song. Team's going to come up here in a second. And um, we're going to uh, we're going to sing one more song. It's a time of response. And so today we've opened up God's Word, and I don't know, I never know how God might speak to you guys through what, what God's laid on my heart, but what I do know is that God's called us to be humble. And so if, you, if that hits you between the eyes and you're like, hey man, that ain't me, it needs to be. Have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So today, if you want to use this invitation time to, to seek the Lord and say, God, help me be humble, uh, do that. Um, also, Christ didn't just die on the cross because of his humility. He died on his cross because of his, on the cross because of his love for you. And today, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you've never committed your life to follow him, we would love to talk with you about what that looks like. Jesus changed my life at a, as a, at a young age, but God has changed the lives of 90 and 100-year-old people, and he's changed the lives of 50 and 60-year-old people and everybody in between. 
Today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never begun to follow him, we'd love to talk with you about that. During this invitation time, we're going to have two volunteers by the back door, and I'm going to be down front. Um, We would love to talk with you about what it looks like to follow Jesus and how you can take that step today to begin that relationship. I'm going to say a word of prayer. You guys stand. The altar will also be open. You're welcome to come down here and pray. You can pray right where you are, whatever you uh, feel like God's leading you to do. I'm going to pray. We'll all stand and sing, and you can respond as God leads, okay? Let's pray. God, we do uh, trust, God, that your word is um, fully and, and completely true. And God, we believe that this, your spirit wants to illumine uh, uh, our minds to the truth. God, you want to help us understand the truth. And I pray that today the truth that we've, we've been shown from your word is that we have got to be humble. God, not just as individuals, but as a church. God, may Lindsay Lane East be marked as a people of humility in our community and not a people trying to defend and fight all the time. God, we love you and we trust you to do a work in each of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.